between a rock and a hard place. It's our 50th episode, Colleen! I can't believe that it's been that many episodes. I know. I keep telling people it's our 50th anniversary, (laughs) and they're like, what? What? (laughs) You don't seem that old. I'm not. But it's our 50th episode, so we're going to do something, obviously, a little bit different. Yeah. I think it'll be fun, even if it's a little bit wacky. Yeah, it's really going to be more stream of consciousness than, like, planned. I mean, we have a topic. It's just a topic that includes a lot of little bits and pieces. Yeah, so it's going to be very reminiscent. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm coining that term, reminiscent. I like it. All right. I think it works. So what are we talking about? We are talking about ways that we either changed permanently by living in Iraq or things that we still do because of our time in Iraq. Right. So it's a little bit of a throwback to our reverse culture shock episodes, but I think because we did that, we've noticed even more things that we do that are odd. Well, and since then, we also got a new roommate, and some of the things that we've included today are things that she's actually mentioned to us. Right. Like, wait, why do you do that that way? And we're like, that's not normal? Oh, well, I mean, that's the way they do it in Iraq. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think the biggest thing we get comments on from her is sitting around with the lights off. That's true. We sometimes don't think about turning the lights on and kind of just assume that if the lights are off, maybe... Because the power's gone out. (laughs) Like, it just seems natural to not turn lights on when it gets dark. Yeah. I don't know. We just both got more accustomed to functioning in low-light environments. It's... Not the first thing that comes to mind once it starts getting dark is to turn the lights on. Or even in the morning, like when I get up to shower, I don't turn the bathroom lights on right away. I will shower in the semi-dark because it seems calmer. Yeah. It's a little less abrasive. Yeah. But again, I think we just got used to doing those things in the dark. And so it doesn't occur to us that we need to do it any other way. Right. We even get a little bit of a hard time given to us here at the office. People walk by our offices and be like, what are you doing sitting in the dark? I mean, it's not dark, dark. It's not pitch black. I can see everything just fine. Yes. Steve calls me the child of darkness for that very reason. (laughs) Although, in my defense, the lights in my office did not work for a long time. That's true. And That wasn't your fault. I I was okay with it, though. I wasn't like, hey, I really need to get my lights fixed. I was like, yeah, my lights don't work. It's fine. It's fine. It's not a problem. Not a problem. Which I think maybe is also a carryover from Iraq of, like, it's going to be such a hassle to fix the things that are broken. (laughs) That I'm just not even going to... I'm just going to live with the broken thing. It's fine. Yeah, I think along with that comes the I'm going to fix it myself issue that is also still partly a hangover from Iraq and partly also just the way I was raised. The idea that you could call someone to come and fix something and they would do it in a timely manner and do it well is... Right. It's a very American expectation in some ways. Because, yeah, I know we went round and round and round with our water heater. And it would get fixed, and a week later it would break again. And then they would come and they would fix it. And we went probably more than a month without hot water in the Mm -hmm. middle of winter. 
And there just comes a point where you have to be like, this is fine. Like, if the water heater never gets fixed, I can obviously live without one. And it's not worth the hassle of either trying to communicate to someone that this thing needs fixed or what's wrong with it or deal with the having to stay home to maybe wait for someone who might or might not show up within a week. Right. (laughs) If you're lucky. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've definitely had to wait for repairmen here in the U.S., but they usually show up the day that they said they would. And within the time frame that they say they will. Right. Maybe like an hour on either end, but within pretty close. Yeah. It didn't always work that way in Kurdistan. So yeah, you start fixing things yourself or like jury rigging things so that they kind of work until the person comes that can actually fix it. I did a lot of really random home repairs in Iraq that were absolutely better choices than trying to find someone else to fix them. Sure. That dryer door still has, I'm sure, a binder clip in (laughs) its mechanism. But But it worked. It worked perfectly. All right. That's all you need. I think adjacent to that is that when repairman, repairmen come into our house, we leave the front door open. Yeah. Always. It just seems so normal. Right. It is a weird thing to have a strange man coming to your house and then close the door behind him. Yeah. Like, I open he it. He could be doing anything in there. <laughs> and again, in America... We know, oh, it's a repairman, whatever. No it's problem. It's gonna be fine. Like, I don't think there was ever any... There's never been any actual concern. Right. On I've never been afraid of the repairmen who've come by our home. But... It's just one of those things that, like, so that your neighbors think that you are a good person, you leave the front door open. So your, your neighbors know that there's nothing hinky going on. Right. And that you're safe. Right. Yeah. Because it means that, you know, anyone could pop in at any moment. And and do our neighbors here in Nashville care? I don't think so. Not in the slightest. If They're probably of, not even home. <laughs> if you're one of our neighbors and you care, let us know. <laughs> I, I am curious about that. But I really don't, I really don't think they care. I don't think they care. I don't know how close a track they keep of our goings and comings. I mean, that is a big difference. It's true. It's true. In Iraq, your neighbors keep really close track of you. Yeah. And I think maybe that's another thing that's rubbed off a little bit. Like, we do watch our neighbors. <laughs> it's true. It's a terrible habit. But it's also kind of like, what's going on? Who is that? Is that person supposed to be there? What are they doing? Why are they doing that? Oh, there's our neighbor. Okay, it must be fine. I have definitely stood at our large front windows with my hands on my hips just watching what's going on. They're like, oh. That guy, he ran up the street. And that girl, who normally is walking with him, was jogging about 10 feet behind him. And then they jogged back down. And then they jogged back up. And then they jogged back down. And you're like, hmm, she's getting farther behind. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or this random stranger who I've seen before is now walking with a dog. Ooh, yeah. It's a cute dog. Will they be back with the dog tomorrow? I don't know. We'll have to watch. That is something that some of our neighbors picked up on, because you can definitely see us from the street, 
And we have these neighbors that walk down with their kids in strollers. And then when they walk back up, the dad pushes the stroller, like, way ahead of him. Every time. Every time. so fun. And the first time I noticed it, I was like, there's a stroller! Because you just see the stroller without any adults. Right. It's a little unnerving. And then he walks up, and he now always waves at us if he can see that we're standing there. Which means that I don't stand at the window quite as much, because I'm a little (laughs) embarrassed. Yeah about my curiosity into the lives of strangers. I mean, but that curiosity stretches into another area in the cars. Oh, because yeah. you also Kurds stare into the cars of other people that are driving. Right. And I don't do it all that often, but I do it enough that I can tell when I can't see in. Uh-huh. Like when the windows are tinted, I feel like there's something wrong. Right. Yeah, but we have this, like, idea that our car is, like, our little sanctuary. And even if if we, in the back of our minds, know that people can see in, we're like, yeah, but nobody's looking at me because I'm in my car. Right. But in Kurdistan, everyone's looking at you all the time. Even inside your car. Even inside your car. Yeah. It makes me uncomfortable sometimes because I'll catch myself doing it. And then the person who I'm watching will, like, turn and make eye contact with <laughs> me. And you feel really And awkward. I'm like, oh, right, this is America. I'm not supposed to be looking at you. <laughs> so sorry. Eyes forward. I mean, it, it goes, to with the, like I said, the tinted windows. Because in Iraq, tinted windows are illegal unless you are somebody important. Oh, I don't think I Which is why all that. of the SUVs with the important officials all have the super tinted windows you can't mm. see in. And nobody else does. I I never knew that. This yeah. is new information I'm yeah. learning just today. Personal boundaries is a is a a different <laughs> animal for sure. Yeah. Ooh, also in cars, how often do you check behind yourself to see if somebody's following you? All the time. Yeah. I also like alter and I've stopped doing this to some extent because there are really only two ways to get out of our neighborhood. <laughs> But I do often think about altering my routes Mm -hmm. when I go places. Yep. Like, I always feel better when the mapping software is like, oh, going down that main road is going to take too long. We're going to take you through a neighborhood. I always kind of congratulate myself for like, haha, no one will be able to keep track of where I'm going (laughs) until I drive that route and realize that everyone else's GPS is also Also taking them that way. And I'm on that same route. Forget it. I'm yeah. not as sneaky as I thought. Yeah. But, but yeah. both of those were things that I feel like I trained myself to do mm-hmm. in Iraq and continue to do unless I actively tell my brain to stop it. Right. Be quiet. Right. I mean, I've even done it and gotten all the way up to our street and noticed that the car behind me was still following me and thought, is this one of my neighbors? I'm going to go drive the, like, cul-de-sac and then turn back around and see if they, like, follow me. Oh, absolutely. I've totally done that. And uh, it was one of the neighbors, and I think they maybe thought I was a little crazy. But, again, (laughs) I don't actually know. I don't ask those questions. (laughs) Please, neighbors, don't contact me and be like, yes, we know you're crazy. We know the girls in that house. Yeah, I think think they are. Any of them that know us... Right. already know we're crazy. Do you want to talk about spoons? 
Ooh, yeah. There's like a whole section for food and restaurants. Food and restaurants? Yeah. I don't think I really thought about this as a a rock habit until we went over to our Rocky friend's house for dinner and she handed everybody spoons. Uh And that's what we ate the whole dinner with was spoons. Even though it was meat and vegetables. and And to me it felt very, like natural in some ways of like oh yeah this is how you use your spoon to get the chicken off the bone but i noticed that one of our non-iraq living friends that was with us like picked up the whole piece of chicken and was like what do i do with this (laughs) but spoons like i use a spoon now like a fork and a knife and a spoon and if i make a meal just for myself i'll usually eat it with a spoon Mm-hmm. rather than anything else. It's just a really convenient eating device. It's very useful. It is very useful. And that's very Iraqi. Right. Is that every meal you get a spoon and a fork. Or Or no just fork. a spoon. I was like, they're not usually forks. Right. And, and so you have to navigate this, like, 18-course dinner with one spoon. Yeah. And you figure it out pretty quickly. It totally works. It does. Because you can also use bread, and, like, it's not rude to eat with your hands, depending on what it is. Uh Uh-huh. And, yeah, and it's just, I don't know, I like a spoon. Here's a question for you. Do you like ice in your water? No. Did you like ice in your water before you lived in Iraq? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It has to be a really hot day for me to want ice in my water. Really hot. And even then, I'd rather have refrigerated water than ice in my water. Yeah. I definitely got used to drinking water with no ice in it in Iraq. And I think the choice there, at first at least, was often you would use bottled water, but the ice would be made from tap water, which isn't always drinkable. Right. And, or at least not always drinkable by weak-stomached Americans. And so I recently have been experimenting with putting ice back in my water to see if I like it. And meh. Right. Right. I mean, I like cold water. Yeah. And even if I put ice in my water, I usually wait for it to melt before I drink it. Mm-hmm. So the water is cold, but I don't have those big chunks of ice in it. Yeah. It's, it's awkward. It doesn't feel nice. And it's even to the point where if we have people over for dinner, sometimes I forget to put ice in cups. Oh, yeah, I don't usually put ice in cups. Because it's like, why do you need ice in your cup? There's ice I in the water that's in the pitcher. put ice in the water in the pitcher, but yeah, I don't usually think to put ice in the cups. That is the way of things here, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's bad. It's bad American of us, Colleen. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. So, going out to a restaurant, obviously, mm-hmm. I would always ask for no ice. Right. Um, the other thing that I realized you always have to ask for at a restaurant is the check. Oh, yeah. In in Iraq. In Iraq. Mm-hmm. Not here. Here, you're done eating or you're done ordering things. Like, they'll bring you your check. Right They away. want, you know, the turnover. They want that server to be able to get the tips from your meal. They, you know, want you to be able to leave if you want to. That is considered pushy and rude from a server or a restaurant person. Mm -hmm. But if you aren't aware of it, you may sit there for a very long time waiting for the check to show up. Right. When really what you have to do is ask for it. Which can also be difficult to do because you got to like wave the person down. Yeah, because they're not hovering over your 
table wanting right. to refill your drinks all the time. They're busy doing other things. Other things. Drinking their tea. That's another thing that I only ever saw men ask for the check. Oh, really? Yeah. Did I you ever saw women ask for go a out to eat without men? No. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the problem. Part of the problem. But yeah, yeah, it was always the men. Yeah. And the fighting over the check. Oh yeah. Is hilarious. We don't do that. No, we're not rich enough to do that. No, for sure not. The other thing that you do in restaurants, and maybe you do this if you're like me, you do this other places as well. Where do you sit in a restaurant? Oh, always back to a wall, face towards the door, if at all possible. Right. And not near the window. Not near windows, and in a booth if you can get it. Yep. Yeah. It's safer. Yeah, 100%. This is why we don't go out to eat with each other (laughs) without other people, because we would end up sitting on the same side of the table. Uh Uh-huh. Or one of us would feel deeply uncomfortable through the whole meal because our back is to the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the... It has gotten better over time. Like, I am less uncomfortable in that situation now than I was when I first came back. Right. Those kind of, like, weird, I don't know, safety precautions. I mean, that's what they are originally. Right. Like... It a little bit turns into paranoia. (laughs) A little bit. Because I can't... I can't not sit like that. Like, if I do, I feel deeply uncomfortable through the whole meal. But I will say a large portion of that is not conscious anymore. Right. Like, I choose those spots without thinking about it necessarily and it's not until I'm seated somewhere different that I go why am I nervous or why am I uncomfortable like oh right I didn't get to sit there Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here anymore and it's because I can't see the door yeah or there's like a flow of traffic behind me all the time and I keep peeking behind me and twisting my neck just further evidence that how messed up we are. <laughs> it's great. Maybe it's we're not so the, only pro- the only people that do that. Maybe other people also do it. That we're not living in a somewhat dangerous area of the world. Yeah. I mean, like, the reason you don't sit next to a window is because if a bomb went off in the street, like, that's where you're going to get cut by glass and things like that. Right. Pair that with our natural response to a potential bomb threat and, like, (laughs) it doesn't quite make sense that we would still be concerned about those things because, I mean, it was uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, that there was a rumor about a bomb in Nashville that was a good long distance from us and our office. Well, and by a good long distance, like, it was in the same general neighborhood, I mean, not general neighborhood. I was in South Nashville, I guess. It was in South Nashville. It was within where we normally would be driving. Like, we wouldn't have to go out of our way to get there. Right, right. But, I mean, definitely far enough away that our office and building is not at all a threat. Right, which is a thing that we just knew. Right. We didn't have to look it up on the internet. Right. Like, how far away from a bomb do you have to be to be safe? And we're like, even if it's as big as a car bomb, like, 
we're fine here. Mm-hmm. And one of our other friends was like, "Is it, are we going to be okay? Is this okay? Do we need to leave? Do we need to go somewhere else? And we're no. like, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're in a cement block building. You'll be fine. <laughs> you're like 15 blocks from there. You're fine. It's not a problem. But yeah, this is knowledge that we absorbed mm-hmm. in Iraq. Uh, do you feel like it takes a lot to freak us out about something? Yeah. Like, even even the bombing that did happen in Nashville at Christmas time, mm-hmm. on Christmas Day, which was terrible. It was yeah. a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But I remember hearing, learning about it from my sister who texted me and was like, sorry, I heard yeah. about the bombing. What's going on in Nashville? And I was like, what's going on in Nashville? I had the same thing happen with my uncle. And then I read some news articles and I was like, oh, like, no, no one was killed. Is a is a big deal. It caused a lot of damage. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not the horrible thing that you think that it is. Where, like, the bombings that happened in Erbil were, like, mass mm-hmm. casualty events. Mm-hmm. Or the explosion in Beirut. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, my word. Where that, yeah. you, you, like, have just a whole different scale right. of what is worth getting really like what's worth getting worked up over Mm -hmm. which again is not to minimize the damage that was done to buildings and businesses in nashville yeah but if we we hear about those things and we hear that no one was killed or injured our reaction is going to be like well yeah that really sucks not like deep grief necessarily right which I think is the Iraqi sense of, like, things are bad, but they could always get worse. <laughs> <laughs> a little edge of pessimism a there. A little bit. It, it, like, bleeds over into my life in weird ways. Definitely. What else? Uh, hand gestures. Oh, yeah. Are there any hand gestures you still use that you learned in Iraq? Um, the biggest one I think that I use is when I see someone that I know but they're too far away for me to talk to, or in COVID times, we don't shake hands. I wave at them with my palm open facing them, and then put that palm to my heart mm-hmm. and pat my chest a couple times to yep. be like, I see you, I acknowledge you, you're with me. Total, total Iraq curd thing. Yeah. Never, ever did that before I lived there. Yeah, there it's the greeting that you use for people, yeah, that are either too far away or of the opposite gender, like you don't want to touch them. Mm-hmm. Even older people, I think, yeah. got done with, it or like someone that you're respectful towards. respect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. I do that still as well. Yep. Um, the other one that I have found myself using occasionally, although primarily in the car where no one can actually see it, <laughs> is the weight symbol which is when you take all of your fingers together in a group and point them upwards. And, like, it's described, I think, kind of as, like, making your hand into a pear shape. I would say teardrop. A teardrop shape with the fingers all together at the top and the palm facing up, but at the bottom. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, if you think of it like the classic Italian gesture of the pointer and thumb together. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you just add all the other fingers fingers. to it. This is the the weight from either, like, 
in Kurdistan, it's the wait from the police officer who wants you not to go yet, like wait, or the wait from a parent to a child, mm -hmm. or the teacher student, teacher, student like, or it's a downward weight, not an upward weight. Like you would never do that to somebody in authority over you. Yeah. You would drop everything and listen to them. Yeah. That one. Uh, the other one that I use a lot is the dusting of the hands and then pushing them away. Oh, like it's finished. It's done. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's common or if it was just the way that the man who helped me get my visa explained to me, communicated to me, that the process was over. The, like, wipe the hands and then, like, like you're throwing the towel down. Yeah. And it always went with towel. Towel. It's done. It's finished. It's finished. I use that one today. <laughs> ah, there you go. Um, the other one actually goes a little bit with some of the other ones that we, other topic but the asking for a check, mm -hmm. which may be because you never had to do. Right. Uh, but you hold one hand out and you take your other hand and uh, your four fingers together kind of run it across the top of your palm. Do you do it down in front of you or up? Like pointing at them. Yeah, you point, you point it. Your, your you, open palm, palm so they can see. Or, like, it could be... Yeah, no... Because you want to get their attention. Yeah. So you wouldn't do it low. So yeah, you do it usually yeah. up high. And... I've seen that, and I've also seen just a pointer finger on okay. the palm. Yeah. Which I think is a little more like, it's taking too long. Hurry up. <laughs> but essentially, your open, flat palm is like the check. The, the, the check, paper. The bill. And you're like, I want it. Here. Here. Give it to me. Put it on my hand. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but true. I have used that one in a restaurant, and I was had this momentary thought of, I wonder if they understood me. Or, like, is that super rude in America? I don't know. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel rude, but I don't have a context. I don't know. I mean, how... Is there a hand signal for asking for the check I mean, in America? just put, like, a finger up. And then you have to, like, verbally talk to yes. them. Can I get the check? It's true. But, I mean, maybe that's... Maybe that is the way. Maybe. The, the other thing that's a rudeness thing is I can't sit in a group of people without thinking about the direction of my feet. Yeah. Like, is the sole of my feet pointing at someone else? And if it is, I almost always fight the urge to apologize to them. Yeah. And be like, I'm sorry about my foot. I've done it. Like, in, in my church small group... <laughs> I crossed my legs and pointed my foot at my small group leader, who I love and adore and respect, and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about my foot. And they were like, you didn't touch me. And I was like, no, but I'm pointing. Oh. Oh, right. You don't care. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever apologized to someone for, but it's definitely something that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. Pretty much, yeah, anytime I'm in public. Yeah. I also know that, like, if I'm going to somebody's house, I make sure that I'm wearing decent socks. Right. Because I expect to take my shoes off. Yeah, take off your shoes. That's right. Even though we don't in everybody's homes, I am always prepared to. Good for you. Good for you, Colleen. Thanks. No holy socks on days I visit people. That's that's fair. 
<laughs> I always try to pick my fun socks, like my unicorn socks or yeah. my narwhal socks. And then get my feelings a little hurt if somebody doesn't compliment me on my socks. Oh. But I don't think that's an Iraq thing. I think that's just a youngest child need for attention thing. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. Anything else? Anything else that's like a I'm a weird sure habit? there are lots of other things. But yeah. in part because we work with a lot of other people who've lived in Iraq, I think some of those things are hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, because... A lot of the people around us probably also do those same things. Right. I know there are times where, like, my sister has given me a hard time about scowling when I walk in a mall or, like, out in public. The general expression on the face being a a dour one. And, like, you know, there it was, don't talk to me, I'm busy, please don't flirt with me or think that Mm -hmm. I'm wanting to, you know, be stopped by every other person. Also, this is just the way that everyone else's faces look. Right. Right. That's just how you look in public. Blink. Non-committal. Where in America, if you don't look happy, people think something is wrong with you. Yeah. You smile at strangers here. I still, yeah, I have a hard time with that. Again, might not be a rock. Might just be my personality. I don't know anymore. (laughs) That's part of the problem. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Don't know what we would be without that. Yeah. Um, In part because both of us went there kind of as our first adult job. Right. Living on your own. Post-college. Real life. Real life. (laughs) And so it formed a lot of features about us. Right. How we adult, as it were. (laughs) But we both adult decently well. I don't find it a huge struggle. We're we're making it. We had better be making it by now or we'd be in big trouble. (laughs) Oh, man. Share with us some of the things uh, that have shaped your life. Weird things. Maybe you moved in with a new roommate or got married and your spouse slash roommate was like, why do you do the dishes that way? We like to hear those things, too, because we've definitely had that as well. We just can't chalk it up to a rock. <laughs> yeah. All and right. Happy 50th episode, happy Hannah. Happy 50th episode. Yay! Next time, Next the Chaldean time. Church. Next time, Chaldean Christians in Iraq. I think it's going to be a two-parter. At least. At least. Maybe a three-parter if we get into Syrians, because they're different. Little teaser for you there. Woohoo! We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram, and you should check out our blog and complete transcripts over at servantgroup.org. And it's really helpful for us if you share our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. It helps us know that people are listening and you can let us know what you want to hear next. Thanks Thanks for for listening. Man, we're bad Americans. (laughs) It's okay. It's all right.